0: What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code, and I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up, whether you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from PhysioRoom, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're gonna explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management, to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show what's going on guys dr andrew fix back here for another episode on the code as you know i'm a physical therapist with physio room and really appreciate your guys's time tuning back in here to listen to another episode with us awesome interview for you guys lined up today i'm sitting uh via zoom here with dr phil wagner and uh, he's the ceo and founder of an organization called sparta science which is a movement health intelligence company dedicated to helping the world move better so Dr. Phil, thank you so much for joining me here on The Code. I really appreciate your time this morning.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we got connected, you know, kind of through this like podcast health and human performance realm. Um, But would you do me and all the listeners here a favor and let's do a little bit deeper uh, introduction of who you are. And then, you know, as we get through like your background, we'll start talking about like what is Sparta Science and, and what are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, no, great. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the, the journey began. I was a um, high school and collegiate athlete and <clears throat> injured, you know, quite a few times, you know, dozen surgeries or so in different areas. And, you know, it wasn't for lack of training or effort or commitment to the rehab process, but these injuries kept happening. And, you know, two things. One, I wanted to stop the injuries for sure, but the other was during the rehab process, um, it's often a long process. So wanted some guideposts objectively to know if I was getting better in that rehab process.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, And so, you know, really came up with, you know, this desire to better measure movement status, health, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just like heart rate or blood pressure. You know, how do you know how you're moving quickly and just get a quick check objectively around that? And so went to medical school. You know, with this idea of let's learn how things like diabetes are approached with data and processes and let's try to replicate that in movement. And so set up Sparta Science as a technology company with that mission of very quickly and easily providing a, a movement health vital sign that allows, you know, the the patient, the athlete, the individual, and also the practitioner to be in sync around. You know, how the individual's responding to treatment um, what they might need what they might not need um, to better guide that process of prevention or rehab
0: yeah yeah and i mean i can relate to a lot of what you're saying there one the being an athlete and going through your own types of injuries uh i've, I've had my fair share as well and on some other episodes of this show i've shared some of those um, so going through the rehab and everything and then from the practitioner provider side yeah, there. It is sometimes hard to use like really concrete objective data as some of these markers of where are we in this rehab process. A lot of stuff is either subjective or or it's objective, but it's like you know it's very there's very vague data points, right? It's it's a manual muscle test or or something like that, which is not really that objective at the end of the day. So yeah, I can relate to a lot of this, and I and I can appreciate it because um, I think that's an area where from, from the athlete or patient side, as well as from the provider side, that side that we sometimes fall short. And, um, yeah. So what are some of like the more, um, like chronic or or particular injuries that you've dealt with? And then run me through like the timeline of like what sports and activities did you do. And then, uh, where did you do your training? I think you did medical school at USC. Is that right? But like, where'd you do the rest of your stuff and what types of sports and activities were you getting into?
1: Yeah. So um, from a high school, college standpoint, I, I played uh, football, college football, mm-hmm. so a lot of the injuries yep. were, you know, less about overuse, I guess, and more just trauma, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. getting into car wrecks, yeah. you know, on the field. You know, a lot of those injuries were around shoulders, um, yeah. but certainly had wrist and some other knees and ankles and feet, you know, so actually was disqualified to participate in college sports the NCAA said yeah you're you're no it's not happening so I actually went to New Zealand to play uh professional rugby down there or at least tried, Mm -hmm. and you know entered that minor league system and you know ended up having a pretty severe quad injury um in, in one of the games I played in and ended up just you know finally hanging it up and you know, really pursued this practitioner side as a strength conditioning coach and worked at some pro teams in Australia, New Zealand as a strength coach. And then also, you know, carried that back here to work at universities like Cal and UCLA. Um, and that after that, you know, as a practitioner, as a coach, you know, transitioned in the medical realm. Yeah. You know, and chose USC because they have a great physical therapy program. You know, mm-hmm. so really wanted to make sure that through that medical education, I also had time and an allocation to expose myself to some great physical therapists, practitioners, and biomechanics researchers. Yeah. So that really kind of allowed to combine that practitioner clinical side with with the scientific side, you know, all centered around this idea of, of movement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right about USC having a really good uh, physical therapy program. I'm actually totally outside of this podcast and outside of my time at Physio Room. I'm sort of working on a side project right now. And one of my closest uh, people that I'm working with is someone who is involved in the PT program, PT school there at USC. And um, yeah, he's just a wealth of knowledge and we've got some cool things coming. But um, uh, we're, we're sort of working on a development of a new Mm, home exercise platform, home exercise program platform. I guess you could say that. Hopefully, is a lot more user friendly and all encompassing than some of the other ones that are out there. But, um, but yeah. Well, thanks for sharing some of that background of like you know the things you've dealt with. And and you're right in a sport like football, because I too participate a lot in football through college. And a lot of those injuries, being typically more traumatic in nature, are a lot different than some of the things that we see with. You know, a lot of the endurance running athletes that that we're fortunate to work with or CrossFit athletes who might be dealing with like a shoulder overuse thing compared to, you know, you got tackled awkwardly and you injured your knee or something that's, that's a little different. Um, and how we rehab those things is, is a little different too. I think one of the things that maybe clients don't necessarily know about like physical therapy and this like rehab um, spectrum is Say you do have a traumatic injury, whether you do or do not have surgery, I think a lot of times patients think that like the rehab process is just set, right? The physician tells the the rehab professional what to do, and then you just do it. You do like what's written down on this piece of paper or in a document. And we know that that's not necessarily true. And there's a lot of factors that go into all this stuff and you need to assess craft a plan and try to carry that plan out uh, to get the person back to whatever outcomes you're hoping to achieve. But um, tell us when you started the, you know, like foundation process of Sparta Science and when when did Sparta Science start? And then how have you, how were you using it then? And how has that like morphed and evolved to what you're using Sparta Science for now?
1: Yeah, no, that's great, Andrew. I think, yeah, you, and you mentioned the you know the physical therapy process is is such a an art and not a um, a pre predetermined sequence, right? Yeah. Of hey, you you've got a knee injury, so you fit here, and let's just run that playbook, regardless of who you are, what your history is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one of the best concepts that really physical therapy continues to kind of center around is this: assess, reassess, right? Because you know just like pharmaceuticals, you know, individuals respond differently to exercise, right? So when you're giving things, physical therapists do a great job of reassessing, you know, okay, you did this, or hopefully did this, you know, set of exercises, how are you operating? How are you moving now as a result? Because a lot of times, you know, some exercises don't lead to improvement for individuals, right? Right. But they might for others, right? So that reassessment is, is very key and a core principle of PT, which I love. Um, you know, and I think we kind of started with, okay, if this reassessment aspect is really important, how can we provide an objective assessment to not only assess, but also reassess quickly? Yeah. So that's when my time at USC, I was exposed to force plates. Oh, yeah. It's this idea that, hey, how you interact with the ground really is a crucial part of how you move, you know, because Mm -hmm. ultimately ground reaction force, which this force plate measures is measuring gravity. And unless you're playing or operating on the moon, like it applies to everybody. Right. right? And so that ground reaction pattern is a key focus. And that's where we started is looking at how you jump, how you balance on a force plate. And you could balance for 20 seconds and it picks up a million data points. And where that grew from there is saying, okay, well, you're getting all this data from patients. How do we bring in a data science and machine learning team to make sense of all that data coming in? And so we started to build models around, okay, here's an ACL risk number. Here's a um, shoulder, low back. Started to build different models for folks. A lot of times we call them movement signatures. Mm-hmm. What was fascinating from machine learning, we even published a paper out by you guys with Stedman Hawkins around elbow injury from a jump, you know, and in pitchers, if you don't jump initially your eccentric phase well, you know, if you don't load well, that's predictive of elbow injuries when you pitch, which the machine learning found with us without us looking for it. And it's the idea that when you pitch, if you don't load with your legs, you're sure. obviously to use your upper body more. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the things that have grown, and now we're in the place where, you know, that machine learning has been able to establish a, a data platform, and you know what we're calling the the human data platform. This platform is bringing in you know this force data, but also other information wearables. I see. I think you got a, you got an Oura ring or things like that. It brings in wearable, yeah, right, right. You know, data, but also bring in exercise data. Um, from various apps, along with the force data to say, okay, these exercises are best for these people, but not those people. Hey, if you walk this many steps a day or sleep this many hours, it leads to this change in your movement, but not that change, right? So m- making sense of all this, you know, movement data that's available. So it can be more accurate to the individual.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's an interesting sort of topic that you just sort of brought us to is you sort of talked about okay we have force plates we have ways to record all sorts of data right which is great <laughs> if you can figure out a way to utilize that data for some purpose right yeah. how are you going to take that data data summarize it down and utilize that information into anything that's actionable and I think a lot of times that's where that's where the barrier is for a lot of either people or organizations or whatnot is, okay, we have all this information, but what do we do with it? Right, And a lot of times the answer is nothing. So then activities don't change or the way that we go about doing business doesn't change because there's a disconnect between capturing the data and utilizing it for some sort of a purpose. So yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there.
1: Uh, it's you're you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we're I think we're in the place now where wearables and data have been around long enough where now the question is, so what? Right. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I slept eight hours, most people can do the math that 10 p.m. to six a.m. is eight hours. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. now it's more like, well, should it can I can I get seven and a half with the same impact? Can I get seven? Right? Or do I really need to walk 10,000 steps or is 8,000 the same? Because I think what technology and data should do is give all of us the most important resource, which is time. Mm -hmm. Hey, do I have to do those exercises or do I only need to do these two? We use pharmaceuticals a lot as a good example because there's a compliance issue there too. And then they come up with things like the XR pill, right? The extended release one a day. So I'm taking three pills a day. You only have to take one. Mm -hmm. And so how can we do that with training and exercise? Right. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. So, so from a, um, I don't know, like high level standpoint. Okay. So you have all this, uh, information at your disposal or, or you have this assessment process that you go through. So what are like the major, um, subgroups of either people or teams or businesses, organizations like. Who do you primarily utilize these tools with that you guys have with, with Sparta science?
1: Yeah. And that's evolved over time too. We initially started with, you know, athletes in professional sports and college sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we grew into the special forces, Mm -hmm. you know, and then then started to grow into the conventional military, you know, which is much more representative of, you know, the, the population, the general population. And then you started to grow in a host of other areas around, you know, weekend warriors and physical therapy and fall risk with seniors. Right. Um, and even working with pediatrics all the way to, you know, issues like uh, movement disorders that occur with autism and total, yeah. you know, and so I think it, it really signifies that movement is a is a pretty unifying need across populations, right? Cool. It's just different what the risk is or what the event you're trying to achieve or or prevent, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. a fall in seniors or a hamstring injury in, in runners, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So to help everybody that's potentially listening to this this episode, say say there's someone that, you know, maybe. Maybe they work for an organization that really prioritizes, like, that involves movement, but really prioritizes, like, the health and wellness of its employees and wants to do everything that it can to kind of optimize how effective and uh, and safe their, their employees are in their workplace. How would, like, what would that process look like if that organization decided, hey, we're going to use the technology at Sparta Science to do an analysis of, of our folks, and then we're going to try to take that data. And implement some sort of um, some sort of change or some sort of training program to utilize the data that we found to better optimize how our people are performing.
1: Yeah, you know I think the basic step is organizations will you know will build a, a cloud instance mm-hmm. for them you know for their organization this this human data platform, mm-hmm. where they'll have all their individuals, athletes, patients, soldiers in in that data platform, you know, and that will be able to track the data sources of interest and associate them with outcomes that they're interested in, you know, so that data coming in could be wearable data, could be some of the force plate data we talked about. And so they'll, it could be exercise data. So they'll bring in that data and say, okay, if I'm an athletic group, I'm worried about ACL injuries. So right. They'll bring in wearable data and exercise data and force data, and say, okay, well, here are the ACL risks for individuals. You know, here are the performance capabilities of these individuals. Maybe they want to look at speed for wide receivers and strength yep. for linemen. On the on the flip side, you know, you know there could be endurance or whatever different outcomes of most of interest to enhance or to avoid, right? Because there's always two sides of that coin, right? And I think the challenge for all of us as practitioners is, you know, how do you fly as close to the sun as possible without getting Mm -hmm. burned, right? Right. And so the performance side, you can continue to increase, but you also have to be aware that the higher level of performance does bear with it a higher risk for injury. You can't escape that.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: You know, yeah. in every athlete we scanned on a force plate, the highest risk for their injury is a higher vertical jump, mm. right? If you drive faster, you know, your car, you're going to have to get it serviced more. It's, you know, an a for- unfortunate part of the human body, but it is, you know, an unavoidable, right? These are all living tissues. And if you stress them, they're going to respond. Hopefully they'll respond and be more resilient, but sometimes they break.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because I have had on multiple occasions, very similar conversation or basically the same conversation, typically tailored to the running athlete with one one of our running coaches and friends here in town about like, if somebody is trying to train for like a marathon at like the peak of their physical capability, well, the closer they get to that peak level, Uh, they're flirting with that line of getting hurt, right? Like you kind of have to be right underneath that red line to run at your, your best capability, but you're all, you're a tiptoe away from potentially getting hurt too, whether that's a stress fracture or knee pain or whatever that might be. And, um, and that's kind of the trade-off that there is to have peak or optimal performance is you have to push those bounds. And it's like, you know, how far can we go without, without dipping over that? Like you, like you said, flying so close to the sun. Um,
1: yeah, I think so then, there's a, there's a hubris sometimes that you know that performance trajectory is linear, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no right. ceiling, right? Yep. But it's much more, you know, logarithmic if you will, where there's a linear curve but eventually, you know, there's a leveling off and that slope can't continue upwards.
0: 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely see see smaller gains the more the more advanced somebody is. Without giving away like information that that um, you know you can't or or are unable to, if someone's not working with with your organization, so say say you do have a, a sports team. Say we're working with one of like the teams here here in our area in Colorado, and you're going to assess. Say it's a football team because you and I both have a lot of f- familiarity with football. Are you going to take all of the players on that team through the same assessments, or are you going to do different assessments for different position players? And what are some of those assessments that you typically have people do in addition to, like you already mentioned, like standing on a force plate doing a vertical jump you mentioned? Like what other types of things, types of screens do you uh, typically have people go through to gather some of this data and information?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the way our perspective is the assessment should be very much like a a blood test or an MRI. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't actually ideally be a lot of creativity in the assessment. Mm Because if hundreds of thousands of people are doing the same assessment, you really start to crowdsource all the data within that assessment, which is great, you know, and provides value. But just like a blood test, it's not the test that's different. It's the markers that are going to be different. So if you and I have, you know, we both get a blood draw, your interest might be pre-diabetic screening, mine might be cancer. Mm-hmm. It's the same test, right? But they're looking at different markers within that test. So if we, using your football example, we'll assess the whole football team doing a jump and a balance. You know, with the linemen, they'll be looking at different metrics markers within that than the wide receivers will. And so yeah. that's the kind of, that's where we use that blood test analogy. But the value is if everybody's doing the same test, the data asset continues to accumulate from all these different sites, Mm -hmm. starts to add more differentiation and more opportunity to individualize.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, that makes good sense to me because, and the information of course uh, that you're going to receive is going to be unique to each person. And then the, what you do with that information and what you suggest that that particular athlete or that position group or whatever do as a result of that data is going to be different for them. Um, So is that something that you guys have We kind of talked about like physical therapy being, uh, being kind of like an art, right. And not just like a, you know, you have all the information, you just go step one, step two, step three. Is that something that you guys have like built into your platform or built into your, your database where, okay, you gather all this data, Now, what do you do about it? Like what performance optimizing measures or activity changes do you have that person do? Is that something that like the, um, machine-based learning like spits out and you, it tells you what to do because you've built that into the infrastructure or is that something that you need people like highly qualified coaches, practitioners, providers to now, okay, now you have to implement the follow-up procedures and carry forward that process with the athletes.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great, great, great point. You know, I think, and it speaks more to, I think, also overall the role of AI and technology and the therapist in general. Mm -hmm. It it should never replace the therapist, you know, the practitioner. The insights that we offer provide recommendations Mm -hmm. of like, hey, here's what the community as a whole has found to be most impactful based on the data. So it gives these, it gives those crowdsourcing recommendations. At the same time, you know, the therapist, you know, is that chooses what they want to do based on their own experiences and knowledge of the patient. And the beauty about this is it's a win-win in that they have autonomy, obviously, to do what they think is best, but they can also, get leverage those insights from everybody else and it actually yeah. helps us because if everybody does the same thing mm-hmm. we don't have the data breadth of all these different ways to approach the same totally. problem right so we want that art in that you know variety of approaching the different problems right because very much like nutrition you know there's a lot of different ways to live a healthier lifestyle Right? There's mm-hmm. not one diet, there's not one way. right it ultimately is you know we want to find what works for that individual.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I'm glad to hear you say that because not only because I'm a provider but because I think that that topic of there's not just one way to go about things, whether it's nutrition, whether it's exercise, um, whether it's how you manage your relationships or anything like that and how you communicate with people, there does have to be a bit of variety there. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into why somebody chooses one path over another, whether it's a belief system or what they were just taught when they were younger or what they read on the internet or whatever that might be, why they follow a particular guideline or recommendation. So, so yeah, we do, we do see that a lot in, in our industry of, you know, somebody wants to exercise a particular way because they enjoy it. Maybe they want to do more cardio exercise than resistance training, but their goal is weight loss. Well, we know resistance training is really beneficial to weight loss and nutrition and sleep are really beneficial to weight loss more so than cardio exercise in many cases, right? Or almost every case. Um, But there's like a, you know, there's a give and take to that. If somebody really enjoys doing cardio exercise, well, we're not going to take that away from them probably because it's going to help keep them consistent. And you want to be doing something that you enjoy. Some people choose vegan diets and paleo diets and whatnot for all different types of reasons. So, so yeah, I think there, there does have to be a little bit of that variety and, um, that art form to it. And, uh, but you, but nonetheless, you have the information and the recommendations given to you from the insights that you're able to pull from that data. That's, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I like that.
1: Yeah. There's a, I think nutrition is a good analogy with rehab and training exercises, right? Because, there's a lot of holy wars going on in both, right. Of, Definitely. You know, a, a lot of emotional <laughs> attachment to either, you know, which to your point is in some cases important because that, that addresses the hardest problem, which is compliance, right. Mm-hmm. You want folks to be compliant with, you know, good nutrition, good training, you know, so how do you marry that emotional attachment with, you know, data insights and and really it should be a blend or an integration of the two rather than a, um, a zero sum exclusionary process of like, I pick one or the other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Compliance is definitely the hardest part, yeah. whether it's, whether it's for yourself and holding yourself to something or, or it's a provider or a coach trying to get their team or their, their patients to, um, you know, follow along with recommendations and no, one, nobody's ever going to be like perfect with that. Uh, we see all ends of the spectrum, right? We see people that don't do any of the recommendations. We see people that do way more and take it like way more intense than what was recommended, which uh, can sometimes also not be that good. So, question that came to mind while you were talking was: uh, At what type of maybe it varies depending on who you're assessing, who you're running through these tests, but um, at what kind of interval do you typically do reassessments? So, okay, you assess somebody. And then okay, you have some information, some recommendations, go do these things. When do you reassess? When do you test, retest, like you said before?
1: Yeah, you know, the you know, because the test only takes 30 seconds to you know a minute, you know, we we test, you know, generally weekly. You know, organizations can test anywhere from every week to every month. You know, I think the the difference in the frequency, you know, depends on you know, the situation and um, the accessibility of the individual to the organization, you know? And so it, if we use a, you know, if someone's coming in a clinic only once a week, they tend to scan as part of that process every time they come into the clinic, you know? And Got it's it. a way to validate what they're doing or to your earlier point, what they're not doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a good kind of reminder and ultimately markers like that can build compliance. Right, because it just validates, you know, the efforts they're putting into it or lack thereof.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. With the different like subsets of the population, the high-level athletes, the professional, the the D one collegiate, the special forces, and whatnot, all the way down to potentially pediatrics that are having developmental challenges in movement. It sounds like a balance assessment one is one of the major things that is utilized in your platform is um do the is the balance assessment part of like all of those knowing that like different people have different limitations like for example, maybe the vertical jump is not part of some of the assessments for some of these subgroups of people um but it sounds like maybe the balance piece is probably in as many different patient populations as possible
1: you, you nailed it yeah we the balance is kind of the base for everybody mm-hmm. you know, because you know balance is such a core piece at every stage of life yeah. So, and a, part of the reason is it's, it's as much muscular, musculoskeletal as it is neurological. Totally. Right? Yeah. And So, it is kind of the complete package when we think about <clears throat> discussing movement. Mm-hmm. But then you're right, there's other tests that can use depending on the population. You know, a lot of times you do a jump with athletic population, or in some cases we do an isometric movement where you're pulling, you yeah. know, and the bar you're pulling on doesn't move. Right? right, and that can be helpful for um, the rehab process because there's minimal risk there. There's not a lot of load or movement going on. Or it can be used in occupational health where people are picking up boxes and moving them. You know, and yeah. so those can be. Or if someone's in season, training hard, they're sore, they don't want to jump. That can be a great, you know, tool that isometric assessment.
0: Yeah, yeah, big fan of isometrics in the rehab process Absolutely. and in the training training process. Quite 100%. frankly. Like for example, one of the things that comes to mind that I was recently working with a, uh, a powerlifting athlete, and though we pretty much had gotten them to the point where they're not really having symptoms anymore, she was training for a powerlifting meet, and you know where she was particularly having struggles is in the the bottom depth of her squat from a from a mobility standpoint, but also that bottom position is the most challenging position of the squat. And she was having a hard time with the heavier weight, heavier load, getting out of the bottom of that squat. So we decided to use, instead of just like bringing the weight down and practicing on like maybe pauses and whatnot, what we also utilized is setting up the squat rack to a point where she's at that bottom position of her squat. And then she does an isometric press up into the catch bars or the J hooks at that, at that point so that she can just practice that like generating force at that bottom position. And it seems to be really helpful for her using those isometrics.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think isometrics are a, a massive um, assessment, but also even more importantly, a training tool. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times they're, they're neglected because they don't always bring the same level of soreness, right? That yeah. eccentric movement, like a full squat would do like or a lunge. Right. The next day you're sore, you're like, Oh, that was a good mm-hmm. workout. Isometrics yeah. are very difficult but you don't experience the same level of soreness. Right. But I but I think, you know, there's a a massive tissue and endocrine value to doing things like that. Um mm-hmm. it just may not be as you know easily perceived, you know, as, you know, your DOMS onset, you know, 2 days later.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, and sometimes depending on what the exercise is, sometimes they're boring. Right? Isometrics. No, totally.
1: That's the other piece, right? You know, yeah, they, they're not position, necessarily fun. <laughs> yeah, holding a position is not exciting. Yeah. yeah, but I think, yeah, I would say overall, it's probably the most overlooked um, tool in the training and rehab standpoint.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing isometrics in, or having clients do it or, or whatever is because though one of the like our bodies are built to move right but they're also built to resist movement like gravity or like well gravity being like the major one where like if i'm like a suitcase carry for example or a suitcase hold where you're holding a weight a kettlebell a dumbbell or whatever on one side of your body it's an isometric exercise for your spine right in your pelvis you're trying to resist that weight pulling you down and ultimately gravity is what's what's pulling you down on that side Um, like that's what we do. We pick things up and we're trying to resist, or we are, you know, moving something or turning something and we're trying to resist movement. I was talking a lot about, uh, neck pain with somebody. And we, we got on the topic of like formula one drivers and they're a subset rugby players too, wrestlers, boxers that do more, more commonly do neck strengthening. Well, ultimately what they're trying to do in that car is hold their head still from all of the the force that the car and all the g-forces and whatnot is putting on them they're not turning their head all over the place right their head can't move very much in in their sport they're trying to hold it still from getting whipped around so isometrics are awesome basically is what we're getting at
1: yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right and even we think about runners right ultimately running a lot of times is resisting rotational and lateral movements right Mm -hmm. just running straight ahead totally i mean we We work with a local team by you guys with the Rockies and, you know, pitchers a lot of times have hamstring injuries and it's because they rotate in order to pitch. Their job is to rotate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The problem is running is not rotation. So it's easy to, you know, have a hamstring injury if you're rotating and running awkwardly, right? So the isometrics can be helpful for them to help channel that motion into a more linear fashion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and another thing, like we kind of talked about being, uh, being at like the peak of your sport or activity, you're always flirting with that injury line. the other thing that is, is really difficult is like being a master of a whole bunch of different activities is really hard to do. So like, if someone is really optimized for pitching, but in their like peak at it, well, they still have to bat and run the bases or field the yes. ball or whatever, like being, you know, people often will think about this in terms of like being in shape for your sport is very different depending on what sport that is, right? A swimmer being in great shape is different than a wrestler, different than a track athlete or a cyclist or everything like that. And I think athletes are familiar with that if they participate in multiple sports, because it takes several weeks starting that new season to like really get in shape for say wrestling season. If you just came off feeling great during football season, because they're not the same thing. The, the performance optimizing aspects are, are different
1: absolutely yeah yeah and that's a good point i think you know similar to pt protocols with an injury right being in shape is not a one size fits all you know um you know set of check boxes right yeah
0: yeah totally um again without giving away you know something that you can't give away you gather all this information, what are some of the more common like recommendations um, or aspects that people end up doing after doing these types of assessment? Like what are some of the most common things that you see be implemented as a result of the data that you guys end up gathering?
1: Yeah, the thing we hear a lot of times from patients, athletes, or, or even soldiers is, you know, it's a reminder of basically, you know, the comments I get is like, great, these are all the things I hate. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like, you know, data a lot of times helps nudge you to probably what you already know you need to be doing, you know, at least as a as an end user, as a as a patient and individual practitioners usually know these things and are trying to convey that to the individual, you know, but providers can use that data as like, see, like I told you, like, you got to be doing these things. And so a lot of times it's the opposite of what they might be doing for the majority of their training, you know, a good example. And we use sports a lot of times because analogies, most of our work is outside of sports, but sports are good analogies. A good analogy is, you know, linemen a lot of times like to squat in the weight room. Right. But in a football game, they squat a hundred times. Every time they get into that squatting position, you know, with the line of scrimmage and they do that every practice. So if they're squatting the majority of their life, squatting again in the weight room, how Mm -hmm. helpful is that? You know, they have the opportunity to work on other things, single leg movement, posterior chain, areas where they're not actually getting that exposure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that ultimately circles back to help their squatting ability because they're improving the system in ways that they're not getting exposure to in their normal activities. A lot of times you've seen this we talked about it briefly before is endurance runners, you know, don't have a lot of resistance training in their sport, at least not short, short bouts. So that's where resistance training can, you know, help boost right their endurance performance. Yeah, the technology will identify that and recommend that in a more objective way to support the provider.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you used that example because that's one of the most common conversations that I have on a day-in or week-in-and-out week basis is is the benefits of high resistance or short sets of resistance training for running athletes to give them the piece of their training that they're not getting when they're out running miles outdoors or on the treadmill or wherever. And, um, and I think the people that we've seen buy into that, they have seen performance gains from it. One thing that I've found with athletes, and I think it's cool to use some technology like this to try to implement this is most athletes that I've ever talked to care more about performance enhancement than they do about injury prevention, right? Even though if you're, if you're a provider like me, yeah, you're talking about injury prevention, but that's not as, as a sexy, let's call it to, to an athlete, if they're not already injured, right? Right. If they are already injured, then they're like, yeah, this sucks. I'm, I don't want to be injured anymore. But if they haven't had that, they're like, why do I need to do this? But if you can show them the potential performance improvements, well, everybody wants to be faster or or perform better, right? So I think that that is nice to use that data, even though it's stuff that you know, like you said, people may already know this stuff, but that doesn't mean they're doing it, right? Quite right. quite frankly, uh, you mentioned the aura ring earlier. There was a, a pretty good period of time that I was wearing a Whoop band, yeah, and that was the main reason that I used it. Like we all know that we're supposed to sleep eight hours a day and all this stuff. But the main reason that I was wearing that whoop strap was to objectify the data to my sleep and recovery to see what it was so that I could make changes as a result of that. And, you know, during the time that I was wearing that I found some data that was slightly surprising to me. And I started to try to implement some small changes to improve those numbers. And, um, but it's like, it's stuff that you already know, but that doesn't mean you're following it, right?
1: Oh, uh, it's 100% right. I think, yeah, the technology can, can be that reminder around compliance, right? Mm-hmm. Of, hey, these things are important. And hopefully, if you decide to implement them, you then need that positive feedback. That, hey, I invested this time that I didn't want to, but I got better, right? And so... Yeah and I think the other piece is too often we we like to bucket things into discrete boxes like mm-hmm. performance improvement and then injury prevention right but the reality is they're not separable right they're they're integrated mm-hmm. you know it's it's really about the system and is your system the body is it performing optimally you know yeah. and in some cases individuals do need more performance in some cases people do need more injury prevention you know yeah. And that really depends on, you know, the output of that individual, right? But they're really inseparable. And I think, yeah, individuals need to kind of better understand, providers know this, but individuals have to better understand that it's not so simple of, I'm going to do this performance workout, then do five minutes of injury prevention, you know, afterwards. I mean, we worked with a professional team one time, and in the morning, they would work all morning, with the strength staff on strength and stability, mm-hmm. and then in the afternoon they'd spend all afternoon with the physios working on mobility. Okay. And at the end of the month, most of the athletes didn't improve at all mm-hmm. right? because you, you're pulling in two different directions. You know, so you're driving with the brake on. Sure. So it's that you can't you can't separate those two into those buckets, right? You, yeah. Really, two parts of the same point.
0: Yeah, it's really all the same. And um, sometimes when I talk to like coaches, I've had a couple coaches at, you know, schools and teams here nearby ask us sort of that same question. Hey, can you help us put together a uh, an injury prevention program for athletes or and or can you help us put together like a strength and conditioning program that's going to help improve their performance? And I'm like, well, really, a lot of those things are going to overlap and be a lot of the same things. Because in order to improve their performance and reduce their risk of injury, we want to assess these people and see what are their limitations. Like, okay, maybe we find that 70% of a, of a boys basketball team has reduced ankle dorsiflexion. Well, let's, let's implement some things to improve their dorsiflexion. Well, that's also going to improve their squat and their jumping ability and all this stuff and reduce their risk of ankle sprains or knee injuries. So, you know, it's really going to accomplish a lot of those things. So yeah, however you can, um, Sometimes communicating that is a little tricky to the individual. um, Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a great example to your point. I mean, one of the best ways to improve dorsiflexion is to put weight on a bar and squat down. (laughs) It it forces that dorsiflexion.
0: Spend time there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, to your point, they don't don't need to be in separate bins, right?
0: Yeah. I think that the phrase that comes to mind, and maybe this gets used in business more than it does in like, in healthcare but it's really the same thing that's coming to mind as as hearing you talk about this so before we start the process of like wrapping this up and winding this down is at the end of the day typically what gets measured gets managed right and having some concrete data and information that you can use as feedback because uh, feedback is a gift whether you want it or not it uh it helps you track and manage things and then like you said positive reinforcement hopefully through the implementation of your training, you either get some positive or some negative reinforcement to help you tailor things along the way so that you can hopefully keep moving the needle forward.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times we just gravitate towards, you know, um legacy metrics like body weight, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're an endurance athlete, your runtime, right? <clears throat> and those aren't bad metrics, but they're not the only ones, right? And they're yeah. more lagging. Metrics of like correct. So how do you have better leading metrics? You know, tracking towards where you want to be.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good point too. And again, that's probably something that gets used more KPIs or metrics gets used more in a business sense. But it's really all the same thing. In my experience, you need those lagging indicators, those lagging metrics, like the time, for example, as a measure of how is your business doing, but trying to change those lagging metrics is really hard. You can't do it by focusing on those things, right? You don't change the lagging metrics by focusing on the lagging metrics. You change those, hopefully for the positive, by focusing on the leading indicators that result in those things. So whether it's the focus on your sleep or the nutrition or or whatever, um, you know, the different exercise things that you do if you're trying to improve time, you don't just try to run faster, right? you do these other things that result in making you faster. And then the time takes care of itself.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, Phil, I want to just basically ask you as being the expert in this field, like what did we miss through this conversation? Did we miss anything that coming into this, you know, we were sort of talking off air that like we wanted to accomplish or that you wanted to, to make sure we share that, um, that we didn't hit on.
1: No, I think we hit on a lot of good concepts. You know, I, I think a big one that I'm glad we hit on was, you know, that, you know, this, this, this idea that assessment should be more like a blood test. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be long or varied. They need to be deep, right? Because, you know, there's a host of information that can be gleaned from just one assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that's a key piece. And I think the other... One we hit on is the role of technology in compliance, even if it's just from an awareness standpoint, right? Um, you know, not only to play offense if here are the things that you could be doing or should be doing, but also to play defense, you know, a lot of times as providers, we got to deal with Dr. Google, mm-hmm. right? So getting that feedback to the the patient, the individual's key so they don't go search somewhere else and wanna try new and different things that could be either unhelpful or harmful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think you're totally right now, one follow-up or final question for you. You mentioned wearables numerous times while we were talking here, um, based on folks that you've worked with or what you do personally, what are some things that, uh, that you would give as recommendations for people of something that they might start to utilize themselves to optimize some of their health and wellness?
1: Yeah, I think anytime you want to invest in technology, it's helpful to have like a hypothesis or goal of some kind, you Mm -hmm. know, that is driving that interest. Like you mentioned, hey, I wanted awareness around some of my sleep patterns. So, you know, got a whoop, you know, band, right? So I think, you know, a lot of times where technology can be frustrating for folks is they feel they have to get it, but they don't know why, right? And so is saying hey i'd really like to look into this or i really need help with compliance or reminders here so this yeah. is why i want to get it because i think if you go in without that sort of expectation you're kind of going in thinking this is going to tell me everything i want to know and give me mm-hmm. everything i want to get right totally. <laughs> there's no technology that does that right yeah. so i think that's the key is is really going in with a it doesn't need to be completely rigid but at least a, a strong reason for using it
0: yeah totally yeah that's a that's a good point because it can't do it for you right No. and if you go, <laughs> and yeah. if you go in with that objective in mind it you know for some people that's going to help them justify the cost because then at yeah. that point the cost might be irrelevant right it right. you know we talk about like people coming into our office well if we're not the right place for you it doesn't matter like sometimes people call us oh how much how much do your visits cost well, if we're not the right person for you to see, it doesn't matter, right? right? Like, let's figure out if we're even in the right place first. Well, this was awesome, uh, Phil. I really appreciate your time. If, um, so say someone listened to this, they have questions now that they want to follow up with you, or they want questions on Sparta Science. Where can people find you guys so that they can uh, they can reach out and, and get those questions answered?
1: Yeah, probably the best place is the website, our website, mm-hmm. spartascience.com. But we've We've also got social channels on LinkedIn and and uh and Twitter, you know, so yep. folks can kind of keep up with news or you know, on my LinkedIn, I'm kind of putting out awareness around movement health and how it relates to a bunch of different injuries and conditions um, you know, that ultimately can improve health.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of those things, the uh, the contact information, the site and whatnot in the show notes for this. So be sure to check those out, you guys, if you want to follow up or go uh, go explore those. Uh, again, Phil, thank you so much for, for joining me today. And um, for all you guys that tuned in to listen to this episode on the code, as I mentioned at the beginning, really appreciate your time for being a listener of our show. And um, as you've maybe heard me say before, we do have a goal of getting to 200 five-star reviews on this show. So whatever podcast platform you chose to use, Spotify, Apple, however you're listening to this, if you could hop on that review section, drop us a review and use that spot too to ask any questions if you have them or share topics that you are curious about. And we'll make sure to get an episode out to answer those things for you guys. Again, Phil, thank you so much. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, you too.
0: Absolutely. Thanks guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of the code. Hey guys, Dr. Andrew Fix from physio room here. Thanks again for tuning in to listen to us on the code. Really appreciate your time. And for that, I want to share a special offer from physio room extended to you guys. So if you want to have an opportunity to work with us at physio room for any fitness, performance rehab, pain relief, whatever that might be, when you reach out to us to schedule your appointment in person or virtual, we're going to offer you 20% off for being a code listener. So just be sure to mention that you heard about it on the podcast and we will make sure to extend that offer to you. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much guys.